John 15:13 King James Version Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends say good morning and welcome everybody and uh, we appreciate the Lord blessing us another beautiful day and uh, blessing us to be in his house once again and uh, as we've gotten older we appreciate uh, every opportunity we have to be in the Lord's house we've had some times in our lives when we couldn't be here and uh, it's made us appreciate when we can be here and I again I appreciate everybody being here this morning I know there's people that should be here this morning there's people who would like to be here this morning that can't be and uh let's pray for those folks that have a desire to be here and can't be here but we just look forward to having a great day and just pray to everybody follow the lord this morning we can see some souls saved and people get where they need to be i'm gonna ask uh, brother taylor dismisses sunday school
Good to see everyone this morning. Glad everyone's here. Thankful for Memorial Day. Uh, sure appreciate folks that have served our country. Um, and it's a great uh, weekend to remember all of those folks, the folks that served and the folks that gave up their life for our country. I sure appreciate our country and the freedoms that we have. And so uh, thank you to everyone that has served. We are going to be continuing in Acts today. We're going to be in Acts uh, chapter 9. And uh, as with a lot of these lessons the last couple of weeks, very, very common stuff that probably everyone in here could, could teach. And uh, so those are challenging lessons. I, when I teach, I, if the Lord will let me, I always want to try to bring out something, some perspective, some thought that maybe folks haven't thought about before just to, you know, kind of make us think. And so uh, we're going to be talking about Saul and his conversion and becoming Paul, the apostle, who wrote half of the New Testament. And so, you know, and when we think about Paul, when I do, I think about him looking back. Of course, I know that he has written all of these books and the great things that he's done, but prior to his conversion to Christianity, prior to him being saved, he was a terror. And that's where we're really at, and we want to focus a little bit on that. And there's a couple of things in here that uh, you know I want to try to bring out. So desire your prayers, and if you have comments, as always, uh, please make them. So I want to kind of give you a chronology of where we're at here. In chapter 7, which hasn't been one of our recent Sunday school lessons, but in Acts chapter 7, right at the end of chapter 7, is uh, the description of Stephen being uh, brought, essentially brought before a kind of a mob there, and Stephen preaches. And man, the, if you read through that, that sermon and what he told those folks, I mean, he didn't hold back. He if you want to use an old saying, he shot with, with both barrels. He let them have it. And at the end of that, they became really irate, and they took him out of the city, and they stoned him and killed him. And so we're all familiar with that scripture, and there's some songs that we sing, uh, you know, that are beautiful songs. But I bring that up because there was a young man there who had authority and his name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he consented unto them stoning Stephen. But he stood there and he listened to Stephen's message, Stephen's last sermon. He stood there and listened to it. And the impact that it had on Saul was great. All right. In chapter 8, we see at the beginning of chapter 8, and we were in chapter 8 last week, the latter part of chapter 8 is Philip going down into the desert and meeting up with the man from Ethiopia. That's the latter part of chapter 8. But at the first part of chapter 8, which is, this is right after Stephen was stoned, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered. They're like, Man, they're, they're putting us to death. we got to get out of here. Okay? So I understand that. And devout men carried Stephen and buried him. And Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house. Now listen to this. And helping and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. So, I mean, he was going door to door. And if he thought that you were a Christian, he was binding you up. And at best, he was putting you in prison. And some of them were killed. Great time of persecution. So this is Saul. Why is he doing this? Why is he acting this hateful toward the church? I think... Now, you've got to keep in mind who Saul was. Saul was a Jew. He was a Roman citizen. Highly educated. All right? And he is on, if you, in our terminology today, he's on the fast track up. 
I mean, he is a rising star in, in the, in, amongst the folks that he's working for here. He goes to the high priest and he says, essentially, give me a warrant. I want to be able, if I find somebody, I want to be able to arrest them. I want to be able to put them in jail. I'll bring them back here to Jerusalem. I'm on the hunt. What got, what got Saul so stirred up? I think a couple of things. One, I think he started off believing that he was doing right. This is false doctrine. These folks teaching and preaching against what we've always believed and known. Highly educated man. I think, one, he thought he was right. But then when he went down... And he heard Stephen preach. I think something happened with Saul. I think Saul came under conviction. Okay. Can you think of anybody in your mind that you've brought to church with you? Maybe a family member, you know, a friend, somebody. And you're, you've been wanting to get them to church and you're hoping they'll come. And they come and we have a good service and the spirit goes out and you're kind of thinking, man, they may, they may be feeling something here. This is really good. And after church is over, they're like, I don't really care much for that place. That preacher preaches too loud. He was preaching right at me. Everybody was looking right at me. I don't care for the way they sing. They got it too cold. Service didn't last long enough. It's way out in the country. I don't like to drive out there. I mean, every excuse in the world, and the real thing that's going on is God touched them. Okay? Doesn't that sound like where Saul's at here? Okay, Stephen, you're going to preach to me, and I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to go back to the high priest, and I'm going to get me a warrant, and I'm going to just sock it to these Christian folks I'll not have them making me feel bad anymore. All right? I'm pretty confident that's where he's at. So, then we've got the rest of chapter 8, which is where we were at last week with Philip and, and uh, the man from Ethiopia. So now, let's start. Our lesson doesn't actually start until chapter, well, it's in chapter 9, but verse 9. But I want to read the first 8 verses because I want to spend a little time there. There's some good stuff there, and then I believe we'll have time to finish up. I'll do my best to get through uh, the actual lesson. So, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue. And if he found any of this way, any Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. I'm going to just sock it to him. I'm going to show him. Okay, that's where he's at. And, he journey, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Now, Damascus is north of, if we look at the nation of Israel now on a map, Damascus is north, and it's in what today we would call Syria. And there's still a town there. It's the capital of Syria, probably the largest uh, town or, or city in Syria. But it's, it's actually north of what we would look at and call, you know, Israel the nation today. It's about, I was trying to remember how far it said it was. Uh, it, it's, it's a several days journey if you're walking. Uh, Saul may have been, you know, he may have had animals or a chariot or something, I'm not sure. But if you were walking, it would be several days. So he's not staying right in around Jerusalem anymore. He's a long ways from Jerusalem. He's scattering out. I'm going to go, he's a bounty hunter, okay? I'm going to go find these folks, and we're going to wipe them out. And they were scattering. He was doing a good job. They, they were scattering all over the place, but continuing to preach. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. All right? Think about this. Now, when I was lost, I felt these things happen to me spiritually. But there, was, there wasn't actually a physical light. I think there was a physical light that shone around Saul. Okay? This literally physically happened. Now, it makes a great spiritual representation, but it physically happened. It'd be like if somebody had a, you know, a spotlight and was right above him, and they just shined it on him. Okay? And he fell to the earth and heard a voice 
saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? So there's a conversation going on here. God will get your attention. Okay. God will get your attention. Now, <clears throat> keep in mind, this is the guy that is bounty hunting Christians. And he's on his way to do more. But there's something going on, I believe, where he's still thinking back about what Stephen preached to him when he was standing there listening to Stephen and seeing Stephen get stoned. There's something that's not leaving Saul's heart. Now, I didn't get saved. I know some people did. I didn't get saved the first day that I realized I was lost. All right, I, 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 the gospel at one point spoke to me and I realized I was lost. I didn't get saved that day. When I went home, there was something still stirring in my spirit. When it was time to go back to church again the next time, I wasn't real excited about going. All right? I don't know if anybody else knows what I'm talking about, but that's where I was. That's where Saul's at here. He's on his way, and he's, he's going to show them, you know. But there's something going on, and then this happens. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Who's speaking to me? Who, it, who is it? Right? We've all got examples through the Bible where we can go and read. And when, when God first speaks to somebody, sometimes they're not exactly sure what or who it is. But down on the inside, we know, right? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. Do you think, what do you think Saul's thinking when he hears, I am Jesus? There's this light shining on him and he's hearing this voice and it's been stirring in there since he heard Stephen. And I don't think that's been a real long time. Not a, lot, not a lot of time has passed since he heard Stephen. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, here's a phrase I want to talk about a little bit. I want to spend some time right here. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. All right. Now, let's, let's talk about that, that phrase. So as I'm, as I'm reading and studying for this, this week's lesson, I'm spending some time looking at this phrase because I want to talk about it and I, I think there's some good stuff in here. <clears throat> so, you know, and I know that our church believes King James, and I believe that. I think the King James is the, the proper Bible that we should, should use, okay? I know there are other churches that use other types of Bibles. So the King James and the New King James are the only two versions, translations, that have this language in them. Okay? So, if, and I didn't go look it up, I'm just quoting from a commentary, but if, you've, if you had an NIV or some other, you know, translation, it doesn't have this language in here. It, it it's just taken out. Now, there are other examples, but I just wanted to point that out. Sometimes people say, well, why should I use a King James instead of an NIV? Well, there are differences. There are places where there are scriptures that are taken completely out of these new translations. Now, there are other places where that they are, the, the meanings are changed and they don't really mean the same thing, and those are important as well. But this is just one of them. I just thought that might be interesting for somebody. So... What does this phrase mean? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. All right. Now, another word for pricks is goad. All right. So what is that? It's a stick with a sharp point on the end of it. What's it used for? What was it used for? Well, oxen were the animal of the day. Okay. That was if you had if you had some oxen, you had some muscle. You could you could do some things, including you could could till ground. And so this stick with a sharp point on the end of it 
was used to tell your oxen what you wanted them, because they usually worked in a team, what you wanted them to do. Now, I'm not a farmer. I've never done anything with oxen. I've never plowed up. I mean, I've run a rotor tiller maybe once with my grandpa, but I have, I mean, I don't know this. So I've just studied this and I've studied the way that it is today. All right. So there could be a little difference between the way that they did it then and the way they do it today. But I'm going to tell you some things that really blessed me about how this is done. All right. Now, I've always pictured that with a team of, of oxen and somebody that had a stick, and this is just me and my, you know, raised in the city uh, and, and never done this way of looking at it. I'm thinking, well, this guy that's doing this is probably standing behind this team of oxen with this stick and telling them what he wants them to do, and if they don't do it, he's jabbing them from behind. That's not the way this works, and a lot of you probably know this already, all right? But the person who is using this goad, this stick, walks right beside the team of oxen. But why is that important? Well, God, Jesus here, who's talking to Saul, is setting up an example that Jesus is the person in control and Saul is like the oxen. So he's walking right beside me. So it's not hard. I don't have to turn around and look back. He's right here. Now sometimes, depending if they want to lead you a certain direction, wanting you to change direction, the man with the goad will get in the front. And the oxen will follow. So that's thing number one. Walking right beside the oxen. Thing number two. There's a voice command that goes along with leading a team of oxen. All right. Now I've heard these terms, G and haul. I have no idea what they mean, but somebody in here probably does. Bill does or Don does or some. I mean, there's probably a lot of you that do. But, I mean, that's probably a direction, okay? Am I right? G or stop and start or left and right, okay. So there's terminology that goes along with the person who's leading us, telling us where they want us to go, all right? Why is that important? Well, if we're not close where the person who's leading us and directing us is telling us they want us to go, we can't hear what they're saying. All right? Or, in my case, I may be standing right beside the person who's trying to lead me, and he may be saying, go right, and I might be going, I don't want to go over there. Okay? Because I'm stubborn-headed. Okay? So, I love this picture We've got, you know, we've got this, got this instrument, a stick with a good sharp point on it, walking right beside us, telling us verbally what we need to do, but we need to listen. And then I watched a video on this. So the stick, the person, the, the, you know, the man who's leading the team of oxen doesn't start off by jabbing the sharp point into the ox. All right. just takes, takes the stick on the side and there's certain places where he can tap the team of oxen and it'll and tell them what he wants them to do. He just taps them. And if they're listening and obedient, then they know what to do and they don't get the sharp end of the stick. All right. I don't like the sharp end of the stick. So that's what Jesus is talking about to Paul here, Saul at this point, it's what he's telling him. He's saying, I'm trying to get your attention here. I, I sent you Stephen. Stephen preached to you, and, and you're not listening. So now I've shown this bright light around you, and you can't see with these eyes right now, and I'm talking to you. He's telling him, do you want to keep disobeying and you want me to make it even harder for you? Or are you going to listen to me? And if you'll listen to me, things will be better for you. 
I don't know about anybody else, but I seem like I'm there twice a week where the Lord is saying, I need you to do this, and I'm going, I don't want to do that, Lord. No, I'm saved, and he wasn't saved here at this point, but I'm saying, I don't want to do that. And he's saying, well, I got a sharp stick here. I can, you know, you sure you don't want to do that? Okay, I, I've reconsidered. You know, a little attitude adjustment with a sharp stick helps me a lot. Okay, so that's where that's what this means here. It is hard for thee. Saul, it's gonna it's hard on you to not pay attention to what I'm trying to tell you. I'm Jesus, I'm in control. That's what the message was here. And did Saul get it? I think he did. Let's keep reading. Does anybody have any comments on that before I go on? Did I mess up how you lead a team of oxen? If I did, somebody straighten me up. I hope I didn't. I had some really good points in there. Okay. All right. And he trembling and astonished. So Paul is believing and he's trembling. But now keep in mind, the devils believe and tremble, but that's where it stops. All right. So where is Saul's heart? Lord, what will thou have me do? What do I got to do here, God? All right. I remember when I was lost, conviction on me, and I got to the spot where it was, okay, what do I need to do? I, I, I don't want to stay here. You know, don't want to stay in this spot. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So, gives him a pretty simple straightforward thing and now here's something I just love and the men which journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice but seeing no man that's why I say this light is actually a physical light and this voice and I know God speaks right down here he does to me but this voice was an actual voice if you were standing there where this conversation's taking place, you could hear a voice just like you can hear my voice right now. They heard a voice, but nobody was there. God will get your attention. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, now, he had closed his eyes, but now he opened his eyes physically back up, but there's no sight. He saw no man. He couldn't see anything, all right? So he's, his eyes are back open, but he's blind at this point. Again, great spiritual significance, but this is physically happening right here to Saul, all right? When I was lost, I was certainly spiritually blind. I couldn't see what, you know, I, I, I had no uh, observation of what God wanted me to do other than to get saved. Well, that's where Saul is at here. He can't see they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So that brings, that's the end of verse 8. That brings us to where our lesson starts today. So let's go on. Does anybody have any comments on any of that before we move on into the, the rest of the lesson? All right. And he was three days without sight. Neither did he eat nor drink. I think he's wondering how long is this going to go on Jesus sent me here told me where to come told me to wait I'm waiting being in a spot and I've been in this spot a time or two since I've been saved being in a spot where I'm wanting to get back closer to God but just having to wait and not given the opportunity is a tough place to be all right there were times when i was lost after i heard god speak to me the first time that i would come to church and god didn't deal with me okay if you think about it that's a pretty scary place to be is he gonna ask again am i gonna get another opportunity so saul is here he's not eating he's not drinking can't see here's this fella that just a few days before was on top of the world, so to speak, high priest giving him whatever he wanted, going and doing whatever he wanted, 
people treating him like royalty. Pretty, hum pretty humble spot now, right? God will bring you down from wherever that you think you are. God has a way of bringing you down. And I think that's where Saul was at at this spot. And there, uh, let me see. So the end of verse 9, did not eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Now, there are, I think, three different Ananias people in the New Testament. Uh, this particular Ananias is mentioned here, and he's mentioned later in like chapter 27 of Acts where Paul at that time was actually preaching and telling his experience, same person. Now, there was another Ananias who stole money from the treasury and, and God struck him dead, not the same one. And then there was a, a third Ananias in a different spot that maybe was a high priest or in the, in the Jewish uh, church, not the same fella. So this is really the only discussion of Ananias in the Bible, all right, of this particular fella. And... You know, when I think about him and what this conversation that he's getting ready to have here with the Lord, I think, uh, you know, how easy it would have been. And for me, I probably would have had a real hard time doing what he did. But how easy it would have been for him to have justified and done something different than the acts that the Lord put on his heart. But how important it was for him, for Saul, and for so many people that, that Paul later touched with his life physically and then even now still today to all of us through his writings. So, verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. So he... He's saved. He knows who it is that's talking to him. And the Lord says his name. And he's like, I'm here, Lord. I'm ready. What do you want me to do? It's a good place to be. All right? He, so he, he was ready. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight. That was a, the name of a street in Damascus. And inquire in the house of Judas... For one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. So Ananias is getting this message. And he, what's he thinking here? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, and I didn't hear that just right. Can you say that again? You want me to go where and see who? I mean, I'm double-checking this, triple-checking this, quadruple-checking this. <laughs> yeah. This is continuing in red letter. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. So Saul is there in Damascus praying, he's fasting, he's not having anything to drink, can't see, but still yet God is telling him what's getting ready to happen. A man is coming and he's going to help you. All right. Now, let me ask this question. Why didn't Jesus just give Saul his sight back? Go down to Damascus, go in this house, wait wait three days, and you'll get your sight back. Why was it important that Ananias go see Saul? I mean, he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants. He just struck him blind, shined a big light around him, talked to him from right out of heaven. Certainly he can give his sight back at this point if he wants to. Why was it important for Ananias to be part of this. Yeah. Yep. That's that's great. So 
Ananias gets a huge blessing out of his involvement with this and following what God wanted him to do. We don't know anything else about his life. He could have died the next week. Okay? He might have. I don't know. He may have lived 80 years after this and helped a lot of people and had this testimony that he could tell people. I don't know what God had a purpose for him, but God certainly had a purpose for Ananias to take part in this. So that's great. For Ananias, that's one. What else? Why else is it important for Ananias? So I don't know, I do know that Paul preaches about this in chapter 27 in Acts. I don't know how close that he and Ananias were physically after this, but I, I got to believe that you're right. I have to think that there was a real connection there, okay? So think about it this way. You know, people come here and, you know, they come up and, and maybe they're with a friend or, you know, some family, and they come up and pray, and those people gather in and pray with them, especially people that have had a burden for them for a while. And then those folks, you know, after they get saved, they continue, and they, you know, come to Sunday school with those same people. They get involved in activities with them, you know, at the church. Uh, call them if they're down, pray for each other, those sorts of things. It, it bonds you together. So I think there was some bonding that took place. I also think, and Ananias is certainly, and you said this, representative of the church. Okay. Christ is making a real point here that his feet on the ground, boots on the ground, okay, the folks that he needs to do things are the church. They're the, the, the born-again believers that are serving him. Yeah, he had the ability that he could have just, you know, said, okay, you got your sight back, and it would have come back. But he wants the church engaged in the work of the kingdom, okay? He wants us doing things. He wants us to, to be ready to do things. And so think about this. Let's compare this back to Philip a week ago when we were talking about Philip. Arise, go, or walk, and then run, if you remember my, my, my lesson from last week. And Philip never hesitated. He just went, all right? So let's see what Ananias' response is. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath, how much evil he hath. To thy saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So Ananias, and I'm not downing him at all. Because man, I would have probably been stronger than that. But he's saying, Lord, are you sure about this? Saul of Tarsus? I'm sure he's heard that Saul stood by and watched Stephen get stoned just some short time prior to this. He's been arresting folks and is on his way to Damascus. They might have even had a prayer meeting and been praying, Lord, please protect us and help us. We don't want him to come here and, and wipe out what little bit good that we've got you know, going in your name. He was, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like the message that Dad preached last night. You don't hear them messages preached in our country today. It's just it's against all yeah. meaning. Yeah. And uh, it's like the saying, you know, nobody's above the law, you know. Same way back when the old king, I don't know, Nebuchadnezzar, one of them, he put him out of his job out in the field yeah. eating grass, you know, his fingernails growed out like claws. And, you know, nobody's above God's power, and I think he shows that thing. Yeah. 
he'll certainly humble you down. But I agree with you, Bill. I think Ananias was scared to death. Yeah, Don. I was thinking it was 27, but I just probably got it wrong. So verse 12. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so... with you. Verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, you know, we don't always and, and we've talked about this some in the past, sometimes God tells me I need you to go do this. And I say, God, I don't want to do that. And he says, just go do it anyway. Okay? Sometimes I say, God, I don't want to do that. And he'll give me just a little glimpse of there's a purpose behind this, and here's a little of the purpose. It helps me sometimes when I understand, well, if I go do that, and maybe this person, it'll help this person in this situation over here. Now, I don't always get like, you know, a big explanation, but sometimes God will just share a little bit and say, no, there's, some, there's a real purpose behind this. Here with Ananias, Jesus is talking to him, and he's just telling him, hey, Paul is my chosen vessel, and he's going to take my message before kings, and to the Gentiles, and Ananias, you know, probably sitting there thinking, man, you know, he's going to have opportunity to go places that I never have to go. All right? So I'm, if I'm Ananias, I'm still scared to death. I mean, does God remove every bit of fear when it's time for us to do something on, for him? I mean, we have to move by faith. And sometimes there's fear, sometimes there's not understanding, but it's still our job to move and do what God tells us to do. Hopefully, we don't have to be in a spot like Saul was here, where the, you know God has to really thump us over the head. But I've been there a few times, and he's... Bumped me right over the head because he'll get your attention wherever you're at. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, very significant here that he doesn't just say the Lord. Okay, keep in mind, Saul is a Jew. He knows a Messiah and has been taught that a Messiah is coming. He's persecuting Christians. Everything Ananias did up until he said, even Jesus was plausible that he could deny who he was talking about. But in Jesus' name is where our power is at. That's where our power is, in the name of Jesus. It's not me it's not Ananias. All right. It's not anyone else. It's not the pastor. It's not the evangelist. It's in Jesus' name. 
So he was physically blind. He gets his sight back physically, but he also gets saved. He gets filled with the Holy Ghost. He's born again. He has put his trust in Jesus. All right. So the, the physical blindness is certainly a great representation. Now, I want to say this. As you're reading, and, and there's lots of instances, especially in Acts, but throughout the New Testament, as you're reading, when there are physical ailments that are addressed, always look at those. There are some examples of a physical ailment being cured in the name of Jesus that are not, in my opinion, a salvation experience. This one is. It's clear. You're right, Jay. You, you hit it perfect. But there are some examples where Christ or his disciples healed someone of a physical ailment. And their, their ailment physically was healed, which is good for them. But it was not a salvation experience. Now, those are all great representations of salvation experience where somebody gets their eyes opened. They get their, their legs are, you know, won't work. They're lame and they get healed and they're able to walk. But not everyone is. All right. So just be careful and always look at those uh, to make sure that that is talking about a salvation experience. One last thing I want to leave you with. On over in the book of Acts, and I had it marked, but I've lost it, so I apologize. There was, there were some, some folks that were not Christians, but they decided they were going to start trying to cast demons and devils and spirits out of people in the name of Jesus. And they come across this fella and they tried to cast the evil spirit out of him. And, he, and the spirit says unto these fellas, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? It's not everybody that says in the name of Jesus that has the power of the Holy Ghost. Even back here, people were trying to imitate the power of the Holy Ghost, and they were charlatans. They were, they were fake, all right? And so the evidence is in the fruit of what the tree bears. The real Holy Ghost, the Spirit, will bear witness. I think back, and Bill may have a comment. I'm, I'm going to wrap up real quick. But I think back to Moses and Aaron casting down their rod. The rod turned into a serpent. Pharaoh called in his sorcerers. They cast down their rods, turned into a serpent. Son of a gun, that is some powerful magic. I'm impressed. But then we weigh it out. And Aaron's serpent consumed their serpents. Now they've got no serpent and no rod. The Holy Spirit, if you just give it a minute, will balance it out and you'll be able to see what's real and, and feel what's real. So, did you have something else? Okay. Thank you for your attention and your comments today. Brother Carl is scheduled to be back next week.